Oh, amen. Wonderful worship here this morning. Let's give our applause for our Lord Jesus. Thank you all for that. Go turn your Bibles over to Psalms chapter 91. Psalms chapter 91. Good to see you here. And we have one more week. Next Sunday, we'll complete our series, Healthy, Happy, Whole. And today's message is how to kill the monster under my bed. And we're going to start in Psalms 91. I love Psalms 91. I love many of the Psalms. We're going to read the whole thing here. It says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disasters that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall by your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge... If you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you don't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras, and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me, and I will protect those who trust in my name. They will call upon, call on me, and I will answer, and I will be with them in trouble, and I will rescue and honor them, and I will reward with a long life and give them my salvation. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we're thankful that all who trust in you, that trust in the Lord, that rest in your shadow, that are with you, that rest in the shadow of you, Lord, that you protect us. And you help us. And in this world we live in, it seems to wax worse and worse. Even though we see it, we're reminded, we're reminded that those who trust in you will be protected. That this world in which we live in, this is not all there is. Our home is not here. We are simply passing through. We are simply ambassadors here for a time and a moment. And so may we use this life as a prepping ground for the next. We love you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I have three younger brothers, and my brother Matt and his wife Shay are here this morning. They traveled up to uh, worship the Lord with us, and their two youngest children, they have five children total, and he was one more away from having to be a missionary, but um, <laughs> for five, five good number, great kids, and the youngest, Finley and, and Naomi are here with us, and so good to have them. And uh, it made me think of just as I was getting ready to come up here, um, that goes with this topic about fear. And um, Matt and I are only two years apart, and so we fought a lot, we hung out a lot, and that's what you do with brothers, right, that are cool within two years. But there was one day he and I were going out fishing, and 
as many of you know, I grew up on a farm. My parents still live on that farm. We had chickens, we had cattle, we had horses, we had all of that, and have, still have much of that there. And we, my father had about 15 head of, of cattle. They were, the, uh, they were limousines, red limousines. Now, limousines, cattle can either be black or red. We had red ones. So I would tell kids at school that my father had 15 limousines. And um, they didn't believe me, but we did. But growing up around cattle, um, not that I'm an expert by any means, but um, we would have a bull from time to time, but they were all heifers. And so um, we got used to the cattle, and we walked right through the herd and went fishing. And I don't know if we caught anything or not, but after a while, we decided we were going to head back home, and we walked the same path, cattle in the same spot. And there's always a leader of the heifers. One that is the boss. They follow her, period. That's how it rolls. And if she's not happy, the rest of them are not happy. And she decided she wasn't happy with me. <laughs> I, she liked my brother, apparently. He has a way with cows. And we walk through, and I'm holding my tackle box. I'm holding my gear. And my father, we, we'd have to cross a fence to get to the pond. And my father, there used to be holes in the old fence. My father fixed the fence, which was fine. And um, but so as we are headed back uh, through that, she started to chase me. And at first, I thought nothing of it. I just walked a little. Then she kept coming after me, like she wanted to trample me. Now, I am scared. Now there's fear going through my veins, and I start to run. I drop my tackle, I drop my fishing pole, and I start to run, thinking she's going to stop, but I hear her coming even closer uh, to me, and um, I guess I got too close to one of her calves or whatever, and I'm running, and I think she's going to stop, and she's not stopping, and I had a choice to make, to try to jump over the fence, but there's water and mud everywhere, and so I dive through the hole my father fixed with bob wire. I got cut up. I was wet. I was muddy, and that heifer went all the way to the fence just looking at me, and I thought, you're going to make a good hamburger one day, lady. <laughs> and I don't blame my brother for this because he was laughing the entire time. I... I probably would have done the same. I lived. I was okay. But I was afraid for a moment in time. I had never been afraid of, those, uh, of the cattle, but I was afraid that day. And so I want you to think, when was the last time you were really scared? Uh, now, maybe you've been to a, a scary escape room. Maybe you've been to a haunted house. And designers of those haunted houses and those scary-type environments They'll take certain factors into, uh, into account. And when they think of how can we make a, an environment that is scary. Now, maybe for you, you automatically think of a situation or a story where you were scared and it was not just something made up. But these designers take into consideration um, the three basic types of fear. There's primal, there's irrational, and then, of course, there is rational fear. Now, rational fear happens when a cow's chasing you out of the field. It is a real fear. You know, if you saw a bear and it decided to come after you and you're afraid, um, 
like you should be afraid. There are certain rational things you should be afraid of. I mean, if you see a tiger at the zoo, you're probably not afraid. But if he jumps over the barrier, you're afraid, and you should be. There's some real fears we have. I remember watching a video, I don't know, it's been a while ago, where a man was climbing a mountain, and a bear came down the mountain and tried to attack him, and he tried to kick the bear off the mountain like he was trying to protect. He was afraid. He was screaming and hollering. You may have seen the video. I don't know. They're out there. Those are real fears. There's primal fear. It's defined as, a, as kind of a, something programmed into our brains. It would be fears like, you know, arachnophobia, like a fear of spiders or fear of snakes, or maybe you have one of those type of phobias. They are natural fears, and God has wired our brains that way. This fear of the unknown, which is kind of a universal fear that we all have. We all have something we don't like or we are fearful of. It could be the fear of death. It could be the fear of abandonment. It could be the fear that, of being alone. Some people are that way. And we, we may not have that same fear, but we get it. It's kind of, you know, something that um, we can relate to. Then there is the irrational fear. Irrational fears do not make any logical sense. And they vary, you know, from person to person. Like there are some people, probably right now, that if a clown were to run up here, you would freak out. It wouldn't matter if I said, hey, if you stay, you get a million dollars. Boom, you're out those double doors. No one's going to convince you otherwise. And for many of you, you're like, what's the big deal? It could be an irrational fear that you have. It doesn't make sense to one person, but makes sense to another. So what does the Bible say about fear? Well, really, the Bible mentions two types of fear. And the first fear that we see is the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Now, of these fears in which the Bible mentions, one is encouraged, and the other one is a detriment, but one we can overcome with help. And so this first type of fear, fear of the Lord, um, is a type of fear that does not necessarily mean to be afraid of something. Rather, it's a, it's a reverent awe, kind of a, having a reverent awe of God, of just having, being being the fact of God, who God is and what he is and having reverence for his power and his glory. And there is a proper respect for his, his wrath and his anger. And God does, have, does get, show his wrath. He does get angry. He does have those emotions. And it's important that we are reminded of that. But this fear of the Lord is one that every person should have even as a believer he is my heavenly father i love him and i know he loves me and as we walk with him and we study his word as we walk with the lord and we grow spiritually the fear of the lord is really a total acknowledgement of who god is and, and it comes through knowing him and his, his attributes and knowing who he is through his word. And when we start to learn about the fear of the Lord, and the more we learn about God, the more that, one, yes, we should love him, but even more so of having a fear of him. And I think this is a topic probably that rarely gets touched on. I'm not saying it's like something you should talk about every week. Um, because we could take it the wrong way of like, you better fear God, but we, sh we better fear God. 
We really should. It's not that God is, is, is trying to make sure we are fearful of him or that he is trying to scare you or to frighten you, but it is a reverent fear of knowing that there is consequences to our sin. And why is there consequences to our sin? Because, and God knows the consequences of our sin. He sees the end result. He sees what sin does to his children. And if you are a loving father, a loving parent, and you know that something is going to hurt, maim, and destroy your child, you're going to do anything you can to protect your child from it. And that's the love of God. That's the love of God. You know, I, I think of, I think we get a little bit of an idea of who God is through our fathers. That can be good or bad, depending on what kind of father you had. I, I have a godly father. Not a perfect father, but a good father. And I can remember the words my mother would speak from time to time when we were acting up, wait till your father gets home. That brought fear. That brought fear. Because I knew it was not going to be good. And my mom didn't use that all the time. So um, I, I knew I was in for it. But I never really feared my father in the sense of his presence. And I think that's with God. We should not fear God in his presence, who he is. But man, if there's not a fear of God by the way we live our life, man, and scripture is clear on this. If we can live our life in a way as Christians, and we call ourselves a Christian, we say that we're a believer, and we think we can live our life in a way that's displeasing to God, that we know goes against scripture. And it's, I'm not talking about, man, you had a bad day, you messed up. I think, man, God shows a lot of grace. He is long-suffering, and I'm thankful for that. But Christian, the Bible is clear that if you are never disciplined in your sin that is habitual, continually, just going on, and nothing ever changes, you are never changed, you may not be a Christian. Scripture says you might be illegitimate. You may not really true. You may think you're saved, but you're really not. Now, I'm not trying to make anyone doubt their salvation here. But if your sin never bothers you, there's a problem. It's called conviction. And when you sin and you do wrong, there should be conviction of the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's, that's a good sign. That's a good thing of going, you know what? I, I need to go to the Lord and make this right. And he loves it when we come to him and we confess our sins. And we make things right with him. There should be a fear of the Lord. You see, fear of the Lord also brings with it many blessings and benefits. Here are a couple just from Scripture. Psalms uh, 111, verse 10. says, It is the beginning of wisdom and leads to good understanding. As well, only fools despise wisdom and discipline, according to Proverbs 1. Furthermore, fear of the Lord leads to life, rest, peace, and contentment, according to Proverbs 19. It is a fountain, it is a fountain in life, in Proverbs 14, and provides a security and a place of safety for us, in verse 26 of the same chapter. You see, don't fear what is temporary. Fear what affects your eternity. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the kill soul, can kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he was calling for attention to the fact that the most of what we fear is temporary and of no eternal consequence. Church, what if you live your entire life and 
you go to church, you hear a lot of teaching and a lot of preaching, and you go out of guilt or you go out of duty or you go to make the wife happy or your, or your husband happy or your children happy or your parents happy, and you really, really live a life, you grow up in church decade after decade, and you get towards the last quarter of your life, and you realize, what have I done? And you look back, and you go, I, I think I missed it. I, I think I may have wasted all my time focused on my own kingdom, on my own world, and I missed out on all that God truly had for me. And many do that. Many get to the end of their life and they realize they did not take the time when they had the opportunity to invest in what was eternal, they invested in what was temporary, and they missed it. They missed the fact that this short period of time in which we get here on this thing called life, the average age in which someone lives today is at 78 to 75 range, depending if you're male or female or so on. That's what you get. And you take that little section, that little, that little bit amount, and you look at the rest of eternity. It's said that if a bird could fly from the earth and were to fly and had the ability to fly into space and to go a billion miles away from the earth and were to find a, a, a let's say a planet that was a huge planet the size of Jupiter that was just all lead and it went and it sharpened its beak if birds even sharpen their beak beak on lead I don't know but let's just pretend that it does and it sharpens its beak and flies all the way back and it takes it who knows how long it takes to do that once it is done and gets down to the size of a the size of a quarter eternity eternity has just begun I mean this life really truly is a prepping ground for the next. And no question, there's things that are temporary that should be important to you. God wants them to be important to you. But not everything, not everything should be our focus. Man, we should have a fear of the Lord. See, sometimes allowing a little fear is better than trying to alleviate all fear. The statement that hell is real, and that is a place of torment. That is a place that you don't want to go. It is a place. And some try to alleviate the fear of hell. They'll try to say, well, hell really is not that bad. You know, some say well, there's different levels of hell. Maybe. Maybe there is. Maybe there's not. Maybe, you know, um, at the worst part of hell is where Hitler and, you know, the equivalent are located at. Maybe at the best part of hell, you're just roasting marshmallows. I, I don't know. With no, with no chocolate or graham crackers. But I will say that, that that's a best case scenario. And when it comes to the subject of hell, we like to try to explain away. In fact, many have questions of like, well, how could a loving God ever send someone to hell? And hell really originally was designed, according to Scripture, for Satan and his demons, his fallen angels is what it was designed for. But let me ask you this, and that can be a question within of itself, a sermon within of itself. Why would a loving God send someone 
who had no interest in worshiping of him here on earth by their own free will and choice, not want to worship him, not desire to live for him, why would he send you to heaven? Why would he make you go to a place you made it clear you weren't interested in going? See, we could turn it around the other way as well. And God believes in hell so much he let his only son come and take our punishment on the cross for our sin. You see, the problem is with us is we really think we deserve heaven. We don't. I don't. You don't. I don't care who you are. You don't deserve heaven. We, we just get a glimpse out of God's word and what is revealed to us how holy he is, how perfect he is. But out of his love, because he is love, he offered his son. And why should we be surprised? If your son made a great sacrifice, and maybe you have a son or a daughter or someone you know that lost their lives in one of the wars fighting for our freedom as Americans, and they come over, um, and maybe they lost their life, and someone disrespects, disrespects the sacrifice your son or your daughter made, you probably are not inviting them over for dinner. You're probably going to have some words because of what they've done. And yet, so many expect God, to those who reject his son and the sacrifice that was made, that want nothing to do with his church and his bride, for him just to go, hey, come on in, even though you haven't asked for forgiveness. Come on in, even though you've rejected everything I've told you to do. See, God's a holy God, and he offers salvation, he offers grace, he offers mercy, and he offers salvation to all who will repent. But scripture's clear. Their hell is a real place, and it's a place you don't want to go. And ultimately, you know what's so awful about hell? And really, it's not so much the flames or the torment that is mentioned in scripture. You know what makes hell so awful? is this. Jesus is not there. He's not there. Now, we believe in the, you know, that in the omniscience of God, but he chooses not to have his presence in some capacity in the spiritual realm of not the blessings being there any longer. Because even the lost who are here, who do not believe, experience some type of goodness and grace of God by which the gifts he gives on earth, even when it rains, even the crops, even the blessings, it's an overflow and they get to experience. In fact, someone who is lost, someone who doesn't know Christ, the best day they could ever imagine, maybe they're winning the billion dollar lottery and their health is restored and they are healed and this, that, and the other, the best day they could ever think of the best day they could, like, if God said, hey, you make the best day you ever want to make. You make it, you put it together. That's the closest they'll ever get to heaven without Jesus. Now think, Christian, the worst day that could ever happen to you, the, the worst day, some of the awful stuff, and maybe you think of stuff right now, some awful things that have happened to you, combine those all into one day. If I preach it, that'd be way too much to handle ever. Yeah. My friend, that's the closest as a believer you'll ever get to hell. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Jesus is alive. And one day he is coming again. And I pray and I hope that you know him as your Savior. If hell doesn't scare you, man, 
It should. It really should. You know, there are plenty of people, they will study the scriptures, they will read different books about this topic and questions they have about God, trying to either convince themselves or you're trying to convince someone, hey, you need to accept Christ. And despite all that, there are some, when they come to know Christ, you want to know why they come to know Christ? It's not because of all the, suddenly there was a, a question they had that was answered in a great way by a preacher or another, another Christian. It crosses their mind, and they think to themselves, what if really hell really truly is real? What if in the spiritual realm there really is a place of torment of those who have completely rejected God? And so maybe you don't think hell is real. Maybe you're just playing games with God, and you have no fear of God. Maybe you have no fear of hell. But as a Christian... As a believer, one of the reasons I turn to Christ is knowing that there is truly a hell. And it put a good type of fear in my life. And as Christians, if we truly believe in a place called hell, if we truly believe that, now if I probably were to ask most of you and many of you, being on the church here for a long time, you're believers, if I said, hey, raise your hand if you think hell is real. We all would raise our hands. But then what if we ask this question? If we really truly believe hell is real, how many of us have shared our faith to someone who was lost in the last, let's just say, year? And if our hand does not go up, do we truly believe in hell? We say we do, but do we really believe in hell? And I want to challenge you with that. The preacher, I, that feels convicting. And maybe, just maybe, it should. And we should be more focused on the lost. Because they're really, hell is real, hell is hot, and heaven is a place that God wants everyone to go. And so he offers mercy and grace and forgiveness. You see, while there are many fears um, that we can find in life, there is a good godly fear. As well, we see biblically that we see where God showed fear, fearful and powerful signs to the Israelites so that they might turn to him. Sometimes God uses fear in a positive way. Elijah called down fire from heaven so the Israelites might turn away from the false gods to the one true God. The apostle Paul sternly rebuked the Corinthians and threatened to excommunicate those basking in unrepentant sin, hoping to prompt them, prompt godly fear in them. The difference between warranted fear and unwarranted fear is important. When God uses fear, this is important, when God uses fear, it is based on truth. When our enemy, the devil, uses fear, is based on lies. And when Jesus spoke of hell in fearful ways, it was a show of the truth about God's punishment of sin. Hell is not a place we want to be, and the fear is warranted. And so when Satan urges us to fear man rather than to fear God, he is advancing the lie that we owe more respect to fellow human beings than we owe to God. And that is where we're at today. There are many Christians, you are more fearful about, about offending mankind than you are offending God. 
And unfortunately, we have some churches that are that way today. They're so focused on the culture of today and offending someone. Listen, the gospel itself is offending, but it's good. And it's the good news that we have a Savior, that we can turn from our sin, that we can find the help in which we need. You see, when we do not fear God, we'll eventually fear everything else. I'm going to say that again. When we do not fear God, we will eventually be afraid of everything else. We'll be fearful of everything else. So the question is, what are you going to fear? I'm going to choose fearing God. I'm going to choose following him. I'm going to fear, um, you know, the circumstances or the punishment that he might bring, not because he hates me, not because he's trying to get me, but because he loves me enough. He loves me enough that when the Holy Spirit whispers into my ear and I know I'm not going the right direction, he says, wait till, wait till Abba Father deals with you. You know, it, it's a good godly fear. The second type of fear mentioned in the Bible is not beneficial at all. This is the fear of the spirit of fear mentioned in 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This spirit of fear does not come from God. Sometimes we're afraid uh, because the spirit of fear overcomes us. Fear has this mean, ugly cousin named anxiety. Some of you know a cousin, you've met him. And it's an umbrella word used to refer to varying degrees of worry and fear. It stems from a certain uncertainty, hoping something will happen, but not having a guarantee that it even will. Or fearing something will happen, but having no control over, over it. And so it's said that panic attacks are considered fear out of control. And some of you have had that. Panic attacks can kind of come out of nowhere. You're just doing some normal activities, doing your normal thing, and then boom, it hits you. Sometimes people think they're having a heart attack when they have a panic attack. They get to that point where they just, it's overwhelming them. So well, let me ask, what makes you panic? What makes you fear? What gives you anxiety? There's something that you have called, in your brain, called the amygdala, which is the true fight or flight, when you get into a fight or flight situation, it's, it's your best friend. It helps keep you alive, but it also can work against you. But you also have this. You have another portion of your brain um, that works with the amygdala called the prefrontal cortex. Now think of the amygdala as your over-caffeinated, hyper, OC, I won't say OCD, I would say uh, AD. ADD, um, you know, cousin that you have. I mean, he or she is all over the place. The amygdala is always freaking out. Every noise, they think someone's trying to kill them. Think of the prefrontal cortex as the logical part of your brain, kind of like your thoughtful, level-headed, realistic, even-tempered uncle with a law degree. Like, he is chill. He has an answer. There's a logical reason for it. So, give an example. Let's say... You are in your home, it's in the middle of the night, you hear something knocked over, you hear a noise, and you elbow your husband because you're not getting up, and you want your husband to go check out and see what it is, 
And um, your amygdala, uh, amygdala says, you know, someone's in the house and they're trying to kill you. The prefrontal cortex goes, it's just the dog or that crazy devil cat that you have. You know, something is doing something in your house. You hear some scratching on the door and your amygdala says someone's trying to figure out to break the lock, to get in and to murder you. But then your prefrontal cortex goes, you know what? It's just the cat trying to get in to annoy you and to sleep on your bed so it can kill you in the middle of the night. Okay, that's the amygdala. <laughs> And God gave you the logical part of your brain, also gave you that amygdala. And so what do we do? What do we do when we plunge into panic and instead find a pathway from problems to peace? What do we do when the amygdala is trying to say there's a monster under your bed? And we have that prefrontal cortex trying to speak to us logically. And we have a battle going back and forth. And that amygdala sometimes just takes over. It takes over and starts to control our lives. And I'm sure when you were a kid, and you have kids, maybe you have grandchildren, at some point in time, there's going to be a monster under the bed. Now, as an adult, you know there's no monster under the bed. But to that child, even, even to them, there's that amygdala and prefrontal cortex they know there's not a monster under the bed you tell what do you do you turn on the lights or you take a flashlight and you show them there's no monster under the bed but what i found is that while we think it's a little bit cute right with our children a monster under the bed there's no monster and you show them as we grow older the monster's not underneath the bed any longer but there's still a monster there's still a monster because there's fearful situations, at least in our mind, that we find ourselves in. And thankfully, that because we have the light of Scripture as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, it shows around us there really is not the monster that we thought. And yes, there's fearful situations. Some of you are probably going through some right now. Maybe it's health concerns. You get into the middle of it, maybe you're really scared. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Or that, you know what? It's bad, but the Lord's with me, and I know I'm going to be okay. You know, wherever you're at, there's always a monster somewhere hiding. It may not be underneath your bed as a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old or an 80-year-old any longer. It's just, it changed locations. So how do we kill this monster underneath our bed? I want to share this here with you. It's first, is shine your faith. Focus on your faith instead of the fear. And we should, you know, it's interesting that, that when we end up, just this little word called focus, and what we end up deciding to think on, of taking those thoughts captive and being ready to give the Lord, to give ourselves an answer out of his word. You know, I think about just some simple Bible verses that are just wonderful uh, take Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You know, of trusting in the Lord, of finding, of finding verses that help you choose faith over fear. You see, the truth is, is that perfect love, it casts out all fear according to God's word. 
And the Bible repeatedly, repeatedly admonishes God's people not to fear. And Satan, he is a father of lies. He wants to confuse us. He wants to entrap us. He wants us to think that God really is not in control or that God's holding out on us. And so what do we do? We continue to shine. We shine faith. You know what really faith is? This is how we define faith. Faith is believing that God is telling the truth. That's what it is. Do you believe God's telling the truth? And sometimes we've got to look ourselves in the mirror and go, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I know that God is telling me the truth. God, help me. Build my faith. Help me to trust in you. And it's a battle. Take one day at a time. Shine forgiveness. Focus on God's forgiveness instead of Satan's lies. Realize that God has forgiven you. Realize there's people you need to forgive. And maybe you need to even ask for forgiveness from time to time. But shine. Shine forgiveness. Realize that, that he really has forgiven you. I remember I had one lady in my church once said, Pastor, I, do, I don't understand why God really decided to forgive me. I don't understand why he even wanted to save me. And I was like, you know what? I don't know either. But I know that God's word says he is love. I don't know why he loves us. I don't know why he wants to forgive us. Because, man, we think of some of the dirty, rotten things we have done or we've seen done, and he forgives them. Like, like, man, how good is God? You see, Satan wants wants us to forget about the goodness of God. He wants us to focus on what we were forgiven of. And God wants us to focus on the future and on his goodness and on his grace and on what he did for us. And Satan wants you to think that, man, what you've done, God can never use a mess up like you. He doesn't want you to be a Christian who is used by the Lord. He wants you to think you've messed up too much for too long that you could never truly be forgiven. That's just lip service with you and God. That's what he does. But he's a liar, and the truth he cannot tell. You see, as well, number three is, how do we kill this monster underneath our bed? Well, we shine God's word. See, focus on the truth of God's word to discern my feelings. Our feelings can go all over the place. One day you're feeling good, you're feeling great, you feel forgiven, you feel great, you're feeling good, and the next hour, the next morning, you feel like a truck hit you. You know, like you feel like, why, I don't feel forgiven, I don't feel saved. You know, there's times you're not going to feel saved. You're just not going to. You had a bad day. You had an argument with your wife. Your wife didn't do exactly what you told her to do. I mean, those kind of problems, right? I'm just teasing about that. It's usually the other way around. But, you know, there's times you don't feel saved. If you have little children in the middle of the night, your little one gets up, your little one, you know, starts crying. And you're going back and forth with your spouse of who's going to go get the kiddo and get them up. None of you are feeling saved, right? You're not feeling your love and your marriage at that point in time. Your feelings can deceive you. Feelings are indicators. Never let them be your dictator. Let God's word be your dictator. You see, when times are good, it's easy to talk about God's faithfulness. When life throws you a curveball, we can lose sight of God's promises. Trust in his promises. You see, when it comes to having discernment of right and wrong, we need to be rooted firmly in the truth of God's word. 
Our feelings are indicators. Don't ignore them. God gave us feelings, no question. But when you end up going and making your value system, your moral system of what you're going to do over what I feel versus the truth of God's word, that's what I'm going to rest on and trust in. It makes all the difference. And we know, we know that Jesus' death was sufficient to cover our sins. We know that we shouldn't be scared um, to meet with God because Christ gives us his righteousness. He makes us right with God because of the cross, that we have access to the God because of it. And here's the last one. Shine and find fulfillment in Jesus. Focus on him. The Bible says he is our bread of life. Think about that. The bread, the bread of life. There's a spiritual hunger in the human heart and an internal hunger in the human soul that cannot be satisfied with anything else other than Jesus. And Jesus, he satisfies. Why? He's the bread of life. The word wants to satisfy your body. Jesus wants to satisfy your heart. The word wants to, you to focus on what will eventually die, but Jesus wants you to focus on what you can live forever with. You see, think about how bread is made. The process begins when the grain is planted in the field. Upon ripening, it must be cut down, ground in the flour, made in the dough. Then before it can come become bread, it has to pass through the fire of the oven as it puffs up and finishes. See, Jesus, he was planted as a seed in the womb of a virgin. He was born into this world and grew up completely sinless. When he was ripe at the height of his ministry, he was cut down, put through the fire of the ovens of God's wrath, and shaped by the cross. When, it came, when he came out of the empty tomb, when he came out, he was the finished bread of life. There's something about bread that does something for us. What's interesting is after World War II, that horrible war, in Europe, there were many, many orphans. It really was almost a pandemic of orphans. And church people and Christians rose up to the, to the occasion. They had these large camps of children. They were fearful. They were hungry. Anxiety and restlessness was throughout. And the caregivers wanting to love these children, wanting to help them. These, they didn't ask to be orphans. How can we bring them peace? How can we help them sleep through the night? And many of them were not sleeping through the night. Fear and anxiety just overwhelmed them. And what they found was this. What they found is when each child went to bed at night, they gave them a piece of bread, not to eat, but to simply hold for the next day. And as they held that bread, it gave them a sense of security. They were safe. It gave them a sense of significance that somebody cared about them. 
It also gave them a sense of satisfaction. There will be more bread tomorrow because I have it right here. Those things are what those children needed and what every person needs. And we were born with this hunger, but our growling souls cannot be satisfied unless we come to the bread of life. And so today, today, your soul can be satisfied. It can be helped. You can be encouraged to know that today and tomorrow, as the Lord gives, it's going to be okay because of who Jesus is. And he is our bread of life. We find satisfaction in him. Everything else that we find, it's just a quick, temporary satisfaction. But in Christ, we find rest for our souls. So when we're fearful, when we're anxious, when we're in a state of panic, run to the Father, run to the Lord, and Jesus is that bread that will satisfy. Let's pray. Maybe you're here, you're listening online, and you realize it's time, it's time to give your life to Christ. You realize that without Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell. And there's not a, there's not a Christian here, my friend, that wants to see that happen. Well, my goal is not to just scare you. My goal is just to point out the reality of what Scripture says. And the reality is there is a God who loves you, who wants to save you. If you will bend the knee and confess your sin and ask Christ to save you, put your belief in Him, He will save you. And here's the beautiful thing. He will change you. He'll make you, what the Bible says, a new creation, a new person. You can start fresh. You can start anew. That can be you. If that's you, I'd love to talk with you. But there's a simple prayer. There's nothing really special in the prayer with and of itself. You can pray your own prayer. But the prayer goes something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I realize I deserve death and hell. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, make me new. From this day forward, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. If you prayed that prayer or something similar, man, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk with you about your next steps in growing in your faith and growing and walking with Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, but you need to get baptized. I'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're here this morning fear right now is dominating your life there's some monsters they're not underneath your bed any longer but they're in your life and you need prayer you need someone to come alongside you you need a brother or sister in Christ that will love on you that will help you that will remind you of the promises of God
Say, Pastor, there's some fear in my life right now. Pray for me. We you raise your hand and show it to God? There's some fear in my life. It could be with your children. It could be with your job. It could be in your health. It could be in your situation. Like There's fear. We all have times have fear. It's okay to admit it. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being our bread of life that brings satisfaction, that calms our fears in a crazy world. We love you. We praise you. And everyone said...